We're coming to um, a time of our service where we both confess the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of our own lives. And so at the first service, we recognise the significance of the week that's just gone, not just in terms of the referendum, but in terms of events in Germany and in other places in the world. And, and, we just, and we're not going to make political points this morning, but what we will do is, is hold in silence the needs of the world before we confess together um, the brokenness and division that exists. Um, so I'm going to invite you to join me in keeping some uh, prayerful silence before um, we pray the words of confession which will appear on the screen. God loves his creation and throughout its brokenness he brings his healing. But let's confess our needs and the needs of the world as we join together in the words on the screen. Lord God, we have sinned for we have done evil in your sight. We are sorry and repent. Have mercy on us according to your love Wash away our wrongdoing and cleanse us from our sin. Renew a right spirit within us and restore us to the joy of your salvation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Listen to these words of forgiveness and affirmation. May the Father of all mercies cleanse you from your sins and restore you in his image to the praise and glory of his name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Shall we stand and sing of the Father's love for us? Shining in my morning glory. 
So as we turn now to the scriptures and to Galatians, and Julie is going to read to us this morning. This morning's reading is from Galatians, and it can be found on page 1105 in the Church Bibles, and it's Galatians 3, verses 23 to 29. Before the, com- before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was put in charge of us until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Before we um, pray... um, for the reflections this morning, it's worth just saying that actually, if you're, if you're holding a church Bible or you've bought your own English translation of the Bible, you're doing so because of the Church of England, um, because James, as monarch, authorised the first English translation of the Scriptures so that we could have Scriptures in our own language. And the Bible translators and the Bible translation societies around the world continue to translate the Scriptures into many languages and dialects so that rather than um, a a Bible in Latin or Hebrew or Greek, people might read the scriptures, the word of God, in their own mother tongue. So perhaps one of the greatest legacies of Anglicanism and impact on our life together is we get to hold the word of God and read it in our own languages, um, which I think is something to celebrate this morning. Um, So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation of its promise and purpose. We thank you for the way it guides our lives and influences our decisions. We thank you for the way it tells us how to be a Christian community centered around your son. So we pray now, Lord, guide us by your spirit into all truth so that we might not only hear these scriptures but take them into our lives that we might be clothed with Christ and renewed in body, mind, and spirit. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) You might want to later, just as um, 
as we look at our partner denominations, their heritage and history, go on to Bible Gateway or one of those kind of sites and, and just look at maybe this um, passage of scripture from Galatians 3. Um, you can just flick between the different translations and look at how Bible uh, translation work has evolved from the authorised version or King James Bible uh, through to the current uh, translations that we have now. I always enjoy looking at the differences and I always find that studying the different translations actually is quite rich. <laughs> For me, the results um, and events of the last week are perhaps significant scene setters for this current series where we explore our partner denominations. We're going to explore what it is to be a Baptist church, a Methodist church, an Anglican church, and a URC church. If we had a fifth Sunday, we don't. We might also explore what it is to be Camborne Church as a collaboration of all those four denominations. If we had a sixth Sunday, we might look at what it is to stand in partnership with the Roman Catholic community here in Camborne and the Indian Orthodox Church. Because it's always excited me that actually um, Christendom meets in this building, um, which I just find so exciting. Um, and I hope you do too. And like many, I was surprised by the results um, of the referendum this week. But to provide you with early reassurance, I don't intend to make any political points this morning. I think there's been quite enough of that in the news and on social media. So if you've come to church seeking solace from them, you're safe. Um, you're fine. I intend to make none. Except the one point is that however you voted, it will have affected your sense of belonging I've always been a proud Welshman, um, but I've also always been a unionist. I've always believed in belonging to Great Britain. And actually, after the vote in the referendum on um, Thursday, um, I found myself thinking that actually there's now a missing part of my identity, which I hadn't actually acknowledged existed um, before, which was a sort of European part of my identity. So it's affected how I belong to the nation I'm a part of, and the wider world. And of course, that's a scene setter for this series because we're, we're a collaboration, a partnership of four denominations. And I don't propose to do this, but were we to take away one of those denominations, the feel of this church, the shape of it would be different. It would feel different. The way we belong to it would change if we took out any one of the four denominations which make us up. And in contrast to the headlines in newspapers over the last few days, I want to claim this morning as we begin this series that the distinctiveness of our partner denominations as a church leads us to be a fellowship which is diverse but not divided. So distinctiveness can lead to diversity but not necessarily division. And I think that's an important truth for us to hang on to. And Galatians is such an important book. In fact, you know, whether this is slightly over-claiming over it, but um, you're here today because perhaps of Galatians, because of what Paul writes to this fresh expression, this missional community of church planted in Galatia that he's now writing to because he's heard some of the things that are happening there. And I'll explain why, um, why you're here today because of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians sees the church growing out of Jerusalem where, quite understandably, 
um, the good news of Jesus had impacted um, Jewish converts more than anyone else. But of course, as the gospel became known and spread like wildfire outside of Jerusalem and went to the towns and villages further out, it not only impacted the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And in areas like Galatia, the Jewish Christian converts were, were sort of advancing a gospel that said, yes, put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, but also keep a strict adherence to the laws and rules of the Jewish faith, including you know, the whole of the law of Moses, which would include things like dietary laws and, and, and laws governing the Sabbath and so on. And, and if you'll indulge me for a moment, it could crudely be described as gospel plus, gospel and additions to that gospel. And Paul tackles this head-on. And the reason he tackles it head-on is because he believed um, that this was leading to social and racial division in the community in Galatia. So if we turn, if you've got your Bibles open and you're in Galatians, turn back a few chapters to um, chapter 1. And verses 6 and 7. Galatians 1, 6 to 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Bang! What an admonishment from Paul to the church in Galatia. I'm astonished that you've already moved away from the gospel which I've only recently shared with you into a gospel which is actually not good news at all. These are hard-hitting words that Paul is speaking and challenging the church with. You know, as I speak, I, I wonder, have we added anything into the good news um, that, that we perhaps have in our subconscious life together that we perhaps need to filter away so that our focus is purely on Jesus Christ? But here's the issue. The Jewish community in Galatia were advocating that the way to most honour God was to live according to the law, which rather excluded the Gentiles. And the title of today's talk is, is a church for everyone. Um, so we're not about being exclusive. Paul reminds the churches in Galatia that to glorify God, they can't rely on the law, but on grace. And I don't know over the years that some of you have been in church and listening to talks, what definitions of grace that you've been taught. But here's a starter for 10. Grace is God's unmerited favour. Grace is God's unmerited favour. We have done nothing to earn God's love, his grace, but God chooses to freely give it. In the Anglican Church, the task of, of being a minister, um, and when you become a minister, is to exercise what's called in ancient language the cure of souls. Um, and it goes to the, um, the core of how Anglican ministers understand um, the concept of priesthood, that we're given with the bishop the cure of souls, which is the responsibility for the salvation, not just of the church, but of the whole community, and, and Anglicanism is a, is a church which is divided into parishes. So the idea is that there is a church for every physical place that exists in, not in fact in the world, uh, but certainly in our nation. And, and the ministers who are responsible for leading the churches in those parishes are given this ancient thing called the cure of souls, which they share with the, uh, with the bishop. 
And so the idea is that whether you're a Christian or whether you're a person of another faith, whether you're of high social standing or low, whether you're really active in a community or not, whatever breakdown of class, gender, cultural background you can think of, you are included in the task and ministry of the church in that place. So Paul, when he sees the Gentile Christians in Galatia being taught this other gospel, he's keen to admonish Um, the Jewish Christians there, and anyone who's been adding into the gospel to call them back to the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. So let's leap forward to chapter 3, where Paul talks of the law, and let's look at verses 23 onwards. Let's just read out um, verses um, 23 to 25. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now there's an important point here, law is not bad. We need the rule of law to ensure just and ordered society. And just as in, um, uh, in the law of the Jewish faith, in the law of Moses, there were uh, rules given to govern worship and to govern conduct, so we have laws as a society which um, govern our um, behavior. Um, and in verse 23, we find the first of two metaphors in these verses. We find the language of being held prisoner or being held in custody And and Paul is saying, you know, that before Jesus, all you had was the law. You had to live in slavish adherence to this set of strict commandments, of detailed commandments. And you were held in custody to that. But the law isn't bad. It's just not the end goal. It's not salvation in Jesus. But what the law does point us to is our need for Jesus. So whilst the Jewish people were held in custody to the law before Jesus appeared, when Jesus appeared, he fulfills the law. Now in Paul's time and in Galatia in Paul's time, um, slavery was still part of a cultural norm. Um, It it was as common as, uh, as some of the cultural norms we hold today. And for us, that's devastating, but but just accept for a moment that it was a regrettable part of culture in that day. Um, And it was often the responsibility of one of the household slaves to act as tutor to the children in that household. And and the slave would tutor uh, the children in their moral um, and ethical formation as people. He would tutor them um, in how to live as, as good Jews. Um, not, not responsible for their education as such, but certainly responsible for a kind of parental uh, formation of the kids. And so the law is, is given this metaphor of a tutor, something that leads us into seeing our need for Jesus Christ. But it's not the end in itself. Now, if doing things for God according to a set of rules, is the basis of your faith, then you're likely to experience the following. 
you're likely to find yourselves in a vicious cycle where attempting to live by the letter of quite a large set of rules means that you're feeling trapped by them. Secondly, that your relationship with God is pretty distant. If your focus is on law and rules and not on the person and character of God, then your relationship with God is likely to be distant. And thirdly, it's quite possible that you're anxious about how you, how you um, are seen in the sight of God Almighty. Because, of course, in any, set, uh, in any system of law, you have punishment and reward. Uh, punishment and, uh, and, and reward. So, in, in the Jewish law, uh, you'd want to follow it because if you didn't, uh, and you failed, there was punishment, and if you succeeded, there was reward. So you find yourself in this cycle where your focus is not necessarily on the character and person of Jesus, but actually on whether you have done well that week. So let's ground this for us. Have you prayed enough this week? Have you read the Bible enough this week? Have you been to church enough times this month? Have you spoken enough about Jesus in your encounters with daily life? Have you ticked off all those things on a list that you keep in your pockets. And that sounds exhausting, doesn't it, to live in that way. But can I ask you truthfully to, to ask of yourselves, is your faith in Christ at the moment more governed by law or by grace? Is your faith in Christ at the moment more governed, governed by law or by grace? If we live under grace, the following are likely to be true to some degree. Life becomes about freedom. No more are we shackled to the expectations that we will obey every single rule of the law of Moses, every single requirement of the law, and we are invited to embrace freedom in Christ. Our relationship with God as a people who now focus on the person and character of Jesus Christ becomes about being in relationship with Jesus and not a focus on the law. And so our relationship becomes personal and deep. And thirdly, as in verse 27 we're told, we are clothed with Christ and so we're likely to grow in godly character. Does it strike you as I say these words that the church has something to offer the nation at the moment? As we look at headlines which cry division, as we look at people divided and becoming incredibly emotional in their responses, do you believe that the church and this message of a gospel of grace has something relevant to speak into this time and situation? Do you believe a church called to unity and called to seek first and foremost Jesus Christ above all other considerations actually has something, an alternative to offer a divided nation? I believe passionately that Christians can be salt and light at this time. I believe that Jesus can be the message of hope which a nation is currently looking for and a unifying force for people who are divided. But you have to make that move from law to grace. And, and I don't know if you've had conversations with people in your lifetime. I've certainly had them in my ministry where people who've had experiences of religion 
um, in their youth particularly, um, or as children, perhaps a particularly uh, overbearingly religious education, have turned away from following any kind of faith, from following Jesus, because they just can't move past this approach to Christianity, which is legalistic or governed by rules, rather than this approach to Jesus, which sees invitation and love and welcome. And it's perfectly possible that there are people here this morning who have never made that transition in your own lives. That you're sitting here and you're worried about the course of your week because you feel that you haven't lived up to God's expectations of you. And I want to say that God loves you and accepts you as you are. That's grace. You haven't merited anything, but it doesn't matter because grace is God's unmerited favor in our lives. Paul is so keen in these few scriptures that we focus in on this morning to underline these points, that we are called to unity, that it doesn't matter the historic divisions in Galatia or in our time, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, let's make it real, immigrant or native, male or female, whatever divisions that you can imagine exist, Paul calls us to unity and oneness in Jesus Christ. So if you've still got chapter 3 open, let's go through the verses. Verse 26, we're called to be in Christ Jesus. In verse 27, we're observed to be baptized, and baptism being that common experience that we share into Christ. And we've put on, we've been clothed with Christ Jesus. In verse 28, we're called to be one in Christ Jesus. And in verse 29, we're called to belong to Christ Jesus. This is how we can welcome everyone. When the character of our faith is not about the judgment of others and how well they do in following the law of Moses or or rules that we set for ourselves but on our desire to see them encounter the person of Jesus Christ and to live lives transformed, not by, not by legalism, but by love and grace. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for a love which we can only glimpse at. Thank you for a grace that we don't feel we deserve, but you so freely give. Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross and for your breaking free from death into new life, into resurrection life. Jesus, thank you that you accept each of us. Father God, we pray for any people in our community or in our fellowship here that haven't moved beyond that gospel of law, of rules, haven't moved beyond that cycle of failure, regret, and guilt. And we pray, Holy Spirit, burst free the revelation of your love and life in those people. 
and join us together in unity of heart and mind, Lord, so that we might be a people known to be found in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Abba, Father, for letting us call you Abba, Father. Thank you that we can come before your throne of grace. We're going to sing a song in a round now, Take, O oh, Take Me As I Am. We use this at membership services, but let's just pray that God would take all that we have to offer him. Jesus. 